Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is May 25th, 2020. Here in the U.S., it's Memorial Day today. And with me, as always, is my pal, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Greetings to you on this national holiday, April. Greetings to you, Jen. Are you feeling celebratory today? It's not the most celebratory holiday. It's not a celebratory day. No. Do you want to describe what it is for people that don't live in the U.S.? Sure. I mean, it's to commemorate people who have died in the service of their country. So Veterans Day in November, we talk about everybody who has served. Right. But yeah, this is a very specific kind of holiday. Mostly with holidays, I can see the connection to the astrological season of the year. Oh, interesting. You know? Okay. But not Memorial Day. (laughs) And it actually seems very antithetical to the time of the year. Because here, it's just as the kids are starting their summer vacations and the weather's all nice. And this is a somber holiday. It is kind of somber. Well, you said, however, that it has a less somber meaning in your family. In my family, my mom's birthday falls the week of Memorial Day. So normally, my family would get together and celebrate. Unfortunately, of course, for any of our future listeners that might be listening back to this, There is a pandemic happening, as we all know. And so we're not going to be able to get together this year, which is unfortunate. But I do want to say happy birthday, Mom. I'm sending lots of love over the airwaves to you, my mama. Happy birthday, Carol. And we all got to meet Carol in a couple of episodes ago. What was the episode name? Episode 22, Taurus New Moon and Venus Gone Wild was the episode that my parents did a cameo. Yes. Yeah, everybody did get to meet Carol. It was wonderful. And everyone can, you know, send her some happy birthday love. Happy birthday. Well, this is one of those movable feast holidays because apparently it used to always be on May 30. From like 1858 or whenever it started to 1970. And then they decided to always make it part of a long weekend. We love our long weekends here. And moved it to the last Monday in in May. So I happened to get married on May 30th, which was a Sunday, actually, that year. It was a Sunday, okay. Yes, but it was Memorial Day weekend, and astrologically, it was a good day, according to my teacher. Okay. So, yeah, we ended up getting married on Memorial Day, which, as I was telling you before, is a little bit of a mixed blessing, because when Johnny was working, of course, he always had it off, so that was nice. We could go away or do something. But if you go away, everybody's gone away because it's the beginning of the summer holiday. <laughs> so just trying to, everything's crowded and it's hot. It was so hot on our wedding day. Did you have a big wedding? It was bigger than we intended. It was about 120 people or something in my friend's parents' backyard. That's decent size. Yeah, it was nice. We had a good time. It was a good party. When we decided to get married, he was 40, I was 30. And we just kind of thought, oh, we'll have champagne and cake in my backyard. We weren't thinking of anything big. But everybody was so ecstatic that we were finally marrying someone. Both our respective families were so shocked, I think, and Mm. delighted that they decided they all had to leap in and start putting Jordan almonds in net bags. (laughs) We had a flower girl. Well, his niece at the time, Johnny's niece, was five years old, Caitlin. She just got married herself last year. And she was adorable, and she wanted to be a flower girl. So the entire scale of this production emerged from the fact that Caitlin wanted to be a flower girl. So we had to have a wedding that 
could incorporate a flower girl. So <laughs> that's how that went up. It was all around the flower girl. That is right. So on this day, we will be celebrating or getting ready to celebrate your wonderful mom and my wonderful marriage. Nice. Yes. But we will, of course, remember those who died either directly or as a result of having been in combat. Exactly. I wonder if we want to jump on our show sheet straight ahead to Mercury and Cancer. We can, yeah. What do you have to say about Mercury and Cancer, April? Well, because Cancer always strikes me as a very patriotic sign. I guess so. It means home. Yeah, there's a clannishness to it. You don't mean that in the negative clannish way. Oh, no, way. not that kind of clan. No, yeah. no, no, no. Let's talk tribe. I just wanted to be clear about that. No. I knew what you meant, but I wanted to be clear. We have had some recent issues here in San Diego. Uh, but yeah, no, Mercury goes into Cancer this week on May 28th at 11.09 a.m. in the Pacific time zone. Mercury, of course, is about how we communicate and style of speech and the way we deal with language and those kinds of things. It's interesting to look at the birth chart that's normally used for the United States. There's some controversy about this. People will use different events to say this is the chart to use for the United States. The one most commonly used is for the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So we use July 4th. Is that called the Sibley chart? Yeah, that's the Sibley chart. Okay, that's the one you look at? Yeah, that's normally the one I use. It seems to respond to transits pretty well. But there, as I say, is some controversy about that. Right. There is a lot of cancer in that chart. The sun is in cancer. Mercury might be. I don't have it in front of me. I think Jupiter is. I think it's the sun conjunct Jupiter in cancer. And we're a very patriotic country. I remember my husband coming to the United States and being really startled by the number of flags that he saw around. They don't do that in New Zealand in the same way where he's from. I've been to New Zealand. Yeah, I guess you don't see flags. No, he said that he lived in Wellington, which is the capital. He said if you saw a flag, it was an embassy. It was you were passing some country's embassy. That's the only time you saw flags. Yeah. Coming over here, and especially after 9-11, when patriotic fervor was at, a, at its height and everybody was flying a flag, he just kind of couldn't get over it. He didn't think there was anything wrong with it, but it just didn't resonate with his experience. But the United States, being a Cancerian country, we have a lot of that patriotic pride and that sense of, even that sense of exceptionalism that you hear about, that sense that we are this strong family. Sure. Yeah, Mercury's going into Cancer this week, and it seems to manifest in people in a variety of ways, of course. One of them is that you can have people who are quite taciturn because cancer is a sign that will keep things to itself. So if you think of someone like Harrison Ford, who was born with this and tends to not say a whole lot. And it's kind of funny. Cancer is kind of a funny sign. It can be very humorous. I think of Mercury and Cancer as being someone who is easily hurt by the things that people say and will really close down if you've hurt their feelings that they are intuitive and there is an emotional element to their use of the language. And I think of someone like Judy Garland, who was born with the sun in Gemini, but it was ruled by Mercury and Cancer in her chart. And just, she was like an open wound to the world and very emotionally expressive. Right. You know, I was looking up charts of people born with Mercury and Cancer and these very likable people like Tom Hanks and Michael J. Fox and Princess Diana, who is very popular with the people because they just have a way of speaking in a way that people resonate with and are good at listening. 
there can be a hard element to anything in cancer. How so? Because if you picture the symbol. Oh, it's a crab. It's got all this armor. Yeah. Because it's very, very protective because it's very sensitive and soft on the inside. So things that are in cancer, I remember someone saying years ago, it might have been my teacher, looking at people with cancer rising, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who has mercury in cancer and also cancer rising, and how they become bodybuilders. It's somewhat building an armor, building a shell around themselves. Hmm, interesting. So you can see that Schwarzenegger has that. Our current president has that. Even the singer Tom Jones, who is this very kind of flamboyant. Sing it, April, sing it. <laughs> What's new, pussycat? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Big voice, you know? Yes. There's a warmth to cancer, but it also has that protective element. And I think as we go through mercury and cancer this time, we are going to experience a retrograde of mercury in the sign. Right. So mercury is in water signs each time it's retrograde this year, and it will turn retrograde in cancer on June 17th. And it enters its shadow period on June 2nd. Coming up. Mm-hmm. Be an interesting retrograde period, won't it? Yeah. Every time Mercury is retrograde, we're asked to rethink and to review and take a look at how we're communicating and the things we say and how we say them and what we want to express in the world. And I guess with Mercury being in Cancer, the ideal scenario is it's tapping into that, you know, the warmth and the caring that we associate with cancer. And a lot of planets are retrograde right now. <sighs> Boy, they sure are. So you had had a thought about this. When planets pass through cancer, because cancer is ruled by the moon, does it kind of take on whatever flavor the moon is going through at that point? Whatever flavor of the day is happening. Oh, I'm going to give a shout out to Cops Custard in Milwaukee. Flavor of the day. What's up? Hey. <gasps> All right. Flavor of the day. That's very Cancerian. Cancer oh. likes its ice cream. So It's custard, April. It's not mm, ice cream. Oh, FYI. God. I'm so sorry, Jen. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Swiss chocolate's the way to go. If you're visiting Milwaukee and you need some custard, you go to Cops Custard K-O-P-P-S. You're welcome, Cops Custard. And what you just heard was thousands of listeners in Wisconsin just, you know, <laughs> shutting cheering. off the podcast, throwing their phone across the room. Half of them in <laughs> Milwaukee right now are saying, what? Because there are a few other custard stands. So there's kind of this local rivalry going on. <sighs> All right. Okay, April, back to my question. Yes, back to your question. <laughs> we took a divergent path there. I mean, what you say makes a lot of sense. It would be very subtle, but I think it gets us to the very nature of cancer itself which is because it's ruled by the moon. It's very, I want to say like absorbent. If you put a cup of milk in the refrigerator with nothing covering it, it's going to absorb every taste in the refrigerator. Yeah. You know, it takes on the flavor of whatever it's around, the flavor of the day. So I think the whole time that something is going through cancer, it is a little more apt to be absorbent in that way and take on the character of other things around it. It's like baking soda in the freezer. Exactly. Yeah, the moon sign of the day. You can certainly look on uh, BigSkyAstrology.com, my website on the front page. In the right-hand sidebar, there's a little thing that says today's moon, I think. And it will show you the sign that it's in. You can click on that little link. It'll tell you a lot about the moon being in that sign for that day and what to look out for and what colors to wear even and things like that. So it's worth tracking and keeping an eye on. And I always think it's interesting to look at what the moon is doing. 
And certainly when a planet's going through cancer ruled by that moon, sure, it's going to pick up, I think, a little bit of that flavor every day. You can also subscribe to April's email list and you'll get a free working with the moon workbook every month. That will also tell you where the moon is every day. Very true. Thank you, my friend. Yes, you're welcome. It tells you more about it. So do we want to backtrack for a second and talk about Mercury before it leaves Gemini? Yeah, we'll pause on the transiting north node. And it's at 29 degrees and 13 minutes of Gemini, which has this interesting Sabian symbol, which is bathing beauties. And you had some interesting thoughts about this. First of all, that Sabian symbol, I don't like, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me think of a beauty pageant or a swimsuit pageant or the like, which in this day and age seems a little outdated to me. Although we have talked about how the Sabian symbols were translated in 1925. And so we do have to kind of contextualize it in that way. But it made me think of what is society's view of beauty, because typically this would mean what's only on the surface, something like tan skin and a flawless appearance. But what I find beautiful is what's on the inside, even though it sounds trite, but looking below the surface and looking at a person's depth and love and generosity. So to me, it's seeing below what's just skin deep. I like that. And we've talked about the nodes before, and particularly the North Node is talking about our objective what we should be moving toward. Sure. And so I like the idea of associating it with a deeper level of beauty rather than something that looks very shiny on the outside and go, oh, I'll go into that line of work because I can make a lot of money or it will really make me look like hot stuff in the world. But yeah, I like this as an idea of, hmm, maybe since it's Mercury and Mercury is sometimes a messenger, keep an eye out around that date, around May 27th and say, is there something that comes into your vicinity that gives you that message. It can just be something you see briefly on the TV or hear on a podcast or read in a book somewhere that accentuates this message between what might look really glittery on the outside but not be quite as deeply fulfilling. That's a good idea. What's a message about your path moving forward, maybe? Yeah, or what's an opportunity even or suggestion that you can pay attention to. Right, yeah. But it was a Sabian symbol worth thinking about it because the North Node is sitting at that particular degree for a little while. So it's worth investigating that. Very good. Well, talks of beauty bring us naturally to Venus. Yeah. What can you tell us about Venus as a morning star versus evening star? Because I noticed that Venus becomes invisible on May 28th. She emerges again on June 10th as a morning star. Yeah. Can you help explain how that all happens and what that means astrologically? I'll do my best. It all (laughs) does have to do with this long cycle of Venus, which there are exactly five Venus cycles in every eight-year period. And if you look at the point at which Venus goes retrograde, you can see it sort of traces out this beautiful pentagonal design that looks like a star. The star point. Exactly. You know, these Venus cycles really, I mean, just to make it really simple, have to do with the process of, if you think about in myth, Persephone going into the underworld, for instance, is like her retrograde period, Venus's retrograde period. And it's the process of going within and going deep inside. And that is the point at which Venus disappears. It has been the evening star. And then she disappears because she's so close to the sun. So she is rising and setting with the sun. So she kind of disappears for a minute or two. And that represents the moment of descent into the underworld. Then on June 3rd, we have the conjunction of Venus and the sun. 
And that is something that we will call a star point. We'll talk about that in a moment. Okay. But that is a moment of, it's like a new moon for Venus. It's the beginning of a new Venus cycle. Shift of views, shifts of insights, especially into relationships and your own value of yourself. Then on June 9th, Venus becomes the morning star. She rises ahead of the sun. She is at a lower degree, and so she is rising sooner. And that is the ascendant of feminine strength. Then on June 24th, Venus will station direct, and the transformation is complete. I see. One of the most interesting things I think to do, there are a couple things that we'll do with Venus, and one is to figure out if you were born when Venus was the morning star or when she was the evening star. And if you are looking at your chart and Venus is clockwise from your sun, so in other words, it's in a degree or a sign ahead of your sun, it was a morning star. Okay. And if the opposite is true and Venus is behind the sun in your chart, looking at it, it would be counterclockwise, it's in the sign or degree after your sun, then you were born when Venus was an evening star. Got it. So which are you, Jen? So I am an evening star. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I am a morning star. So we can be representatives of these two faces of Venus. Yes. I read that if you are born when Venus is the morning star, that you're a little more impulsive and spontaneous emotionally. You lead with your feelings. And it's a little more like maybe an Aries kind of an energy. Okay. And if you were born when Venus was the evening star, then there's a little bit more of a controlled, private. And this thing of feeling after the fact is something that came up that I thought was interesting. If, you know, something happens and it's almost like your feelings are delayed until you have time to process them, and then you can really be in them and your feelings kind of catch up with you at that point. I don't know. Do you resonate with that? I thought it was kind of an interesting interpretation of it. I think so, although I've always attributed that to my Scorpio planets and points. Sure. Makes sense. You know, I'm some blend of Virgo, Libra, Scorpio mostly. (laughs) Double your pleasure with that one. (laughs) How about you? Does that resonate for you? It kind of does. I've got Venus in Cancer, which is a cardinal sign, and it is ahead of my sun. And I do tend to be a little impulsive in the feeling realm. And, you know, do something in haste and repent in leisure kind of a thing. Although we don't normally associate that with cancer necessarily, even though it is a cardinal sign. It speaks much more to my Venus star point, I think. Okay. So we talked about that very briefly before, which is if you look at the conjunction of Venus and the sun prior to your birth, right? Yeah. So that, we say, is your Venus star point. And that is supposed to also give us some kind of view of a little bit of your approach to relationships and things. And also that theoretically, in synastry with other people, you should see important people in your life will have some kind of planet or point in their chart that's making some connection with the Venus star point. Mine is somewhere in Aries. I can't remember the degree. And I married somebody with lots of stuff in Libra opposite that point. So, you know, and have a podcast partner with a lot of things in Libra as well, though not super close to that point. So not necessarily conjunct that point, but making an aspect to it is what you're saying. Yeah. Interesting. And always with those kinds of things, with Sinistry, I'm almost always looking at the hard aspects. Yeah. It's my Saturn, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> conjunction squares and oppositions are, well, because they usually make themselves known a little more vigorously, we might say. 
I don't know, does that help you with the idea of the morning star and the evening star? Yeah, it's all new to me. I've heard, of course, of the Venus star point mm-hmm. over the years that I've been studying, and I, I'm going to come back with questions for you probably, but I don't know that I have any right now. And hopefully I will come back with answers because it's not a real specialty of mine. I did want to point people towards my friend Dana Gerhardt's site, Mooncircles.com. Dana has actually done a lot of work with Venus and with these cycles, and she has a little widget on her website, I think, that'll show you at any given time whether Venus is a morning star or an evening star and tells you some good stuff about that. And she has a beautiful report that she did, too, that's called, I think, Your Venus Unleashed or something that is really interesting and worth looking at. Okay. And Ariel Gutman has a book on the Venus star point. I think she specializes quite a lot on the Venus star point. So we will link to both of those things in the show notes. Absolutely. All right. Well, should we move on to Moonwatch? Moonwatch! (laughs) (laughs) So not only do we have our theme song, but we're still heralding the moment (laughs) for the people that want to sing along with us that you were talking about last week. Yes. What's going on with the moon, April? Well, last week, of course, we had our new moon in Gemini. We talked about that at some length. And this week, of course, is time for the first quarter moon. This one is at 9 degrees, 11 minutes of Virgo on May 29th at 8.30 p.m. Pacific. Yes. It's kind of a dynamic chart. You know, always the sun and moon are square each other at a first quarter. That's what makes it a first quarter. But in this chart, also, the moon is opposed Mars at 11 degrees of Pisces, and the sun is square both of them. So it's a real dynamic configuration. We call it T-square, and it means... There's a lot of energy to this chart, and it is mutable energy because the sun is an immutable sign, Gemini. The moon, of course, is in Virgo, which is mutable, and Mars is immutable, Pisces. The first quarter moon is always a time to get moving with things that you might have been thinking about at the new moon. But when so many things are immutable signs, you're not always clear which direction you want to launch off on. Is the story there. Okay. So the Sabian symbols are sort of interesting for this one. The moon is at the symbol, two heads looking out and beyond the shadows. And you had a thought about that. You were telling me before. It seems more Scorpio to me. I connected it to the earlier bathing beauty symbol because it's about seeing below what's right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And so it reminded me of that bathing beauty symbol. Yeah. Well, and also they're looking out and beyond the shadows. So kind of like that too, because it's seeing things as they are. Certainly, in that sort of idea. But I like the fact that maybe it's a light at the end of the tunnel. We've been podcasting for so long in quarantine now (laughs) that I think often it's well into the episode before we even allude to it and point it out. But it is a time when we're all still kind of, you know, locked up to varying degrees, depending on where you are in the world. And I like that it's two heads because mutability often points to more than one. So this is two heads looking out and beyond the shadows, maybe to what comes next. And I think that maybe is in keeping with that first quarter feeling of where are we going from here? Yeah. But definitely the fact that we're looking out and beyond says we're kind of in the shadows. (laughs) So it's having to look out and project beyond that. And the Sabian symbol for the sun is one of those super scary ones, but it very rarely manifests itself literally, which is an airplane falling. I know, it's awful, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But because I used to be horribly afraid to fly. Mm. And I looked at many, many plane crash charts looking for this degree. I didn't really find it. 
So it's not that it can't happen, but you know, nobody's flying right now anyway. Looking for trouble, as my wife would say. Yes, buying trouble. That's what we say <laughs> in my family. Yeah, don't buy trouble. You're looking for trouble. <laughs> so an airplane falling has, you know, we can look at that in a lot of different ways, too. It's something that's supposed to be holding you up that you've put some confidence in, that you should be feeling safe in. Falling. Hmm. Very disorienting. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Yeah. Oh, you have thoughts about that? Other than yeek, which is kind of my feeling. <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> Yeesh. <laughs> Makes me think of dreams and how sometimes you have a really scary dream, but when you put it in perspective, it's maybe not as scary. But I'm not sure how to interpret this that way. Yeah. I think that's how I often read the Sabian symbols is they're very dreamlike. And when you first read them, it's like when you first have a dream if you take it literally, it doesn't make any sense at all. But if you just kind of step away from it for a minute, you can go, oh, and see what's coming from it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for me, it really is that thing of it starts with the two heads looking out and beyond the shadows, looking towards the future. And you just picture looking up, oh, you know, out of the shadows, looking up in the sky, uh oh, and there's a plane falling. <laughs> You know, it's not a super good combination. I mean, there's fear, basically, that's involved at this first quarter moon. It's that maybe we're starting to peek our heads out a little bit. And certainly as we record this on the 18th of May, a lot of the country is starting to open up, in the United States at least. Some businesses are opening up more gatherings on a limited scale. And there is probably a little apprehension and anxiety that we could expect to see with that. Here's something. If you've never seen a plane before and you see it landing, landing safely, it might appear as though it's falling. Ooh, I like that. But it's not falling. It's landing and you've just never seen it before. Yeah, I like that. That's very positive, Jen. <laughs> that just occurred to me. <laughs> That's a lot less scary than the other one. I like that. I mean, the falling sort of, I guess, implies it's not particularly controlled and planned, but... <laughs> <laughs> but if you've never seen one before. Yeah, that's right. You go, oh, that's very fascinating. You wouldn't know. Yeah. So that's Moonwatch. And I think it's an energetic looking week. It's a little bit of anxiety going out of the comfort zone, maybe a little bit, but peeking out of the shadows and towards the brightness, which I kind of like. Right. And coming up next week, we're going to have the first of three eclipses. Hooey. That we're going to have over the summer. Hang on to your hats. Hang on to your hats. It's going to be bam, 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 three in a row, six weeks of eclipses. What can you tell us to prepare for the eclipses next week? Well, the first thing I'd say is go back and listen to episode five, Unboxing Eclipses. We talked a lot about eclipses, kind of a long episode. Very long episode. Yeah. Long for us, yeah. But chock full of information about eclipses. Useful. I hope so. Yeah, so eclipses are always, they're turning points, I would say, in the year. And there are always moments where we are moving from one nodal point to another. And this is the first one, really, that we're going to have in this new polarity of Sagittarius and Gemini that we'll have for the next year and a half. Yeah. So eclipses that fall towards the south node, as this lunar eclipse will, are always about opportunities to let go, where we have gotten to the point where we've taken a certain path as far as we can take it, and the time is now to turn around. Okay. Yeah, when things are on the south, and it's like, yeah, time to let something go. And then when eclipses are going to be falling at the opposite point, as I think one will in July, very close to the north node in Gemini, even though it will be in Cancer, there is a change that is moving us in the direction of what is new and the more positive direction for us moving ahead. 
towards that point of true joy and beauty that we were talking about. Um, we talked about the Sabian symbol for the North Node at 29 of Gemini. Nice. So a lunar eclipse, you know, it always happens at the full moon. It's when the sun and the moon are opposed to each other. It's when things are sort of laid bare and are illuminated to be fully looked at and discussed and dealt with. And so lunar eclipses are really interesting for relationships. And, you know, again, go back to episode five, because I think we talked about all this quite a lot. I also have a report, an eclipse report for individuals. It's called Followed by a Mood Shadow, and you can find that at my website, bigskyastrology.com. And I'm also going to offer a free webinar on eclipses. Yes, this is something I've been planning to do for years, and I'm finally going to do it. Excellent. It's how I'm spending part of my wedding anniversary on May 30th doing a a free free webinar. Yeah, I got my husband to write off to sign off on that first. And it'll be at 10 o'clock Pacific time. So there will be a lot of people that can't be there live because of time zone issues. Mm -hmm. And I always have to make that choice going in. Am I going to try to help the Pacific Island people be there live or the Europeans? So the Europeans get it this time. But it will be recorded and subscribers to my mailing list will have an opportunity to get the recording. So if you're not on my mailing list, by all means do that. That's a great reason. And like I said earlier, you also get the Working with the Moon workbook every month. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll get everybody up and running and getting ready for this eclipse-heavy summer. Excellent. Well, one more planetary note, April, which is that Venus is actually hitting the eclipse degree on Sunday the 31st, Mm. which happens this week. Mm -hmm. Does that mean it's part of an unfolding story with a Venus theme? Because she's going to hit that 15 degrees on Sunday. Right, right. Because the lunar eclipse is going to be at 15 degrees of Sagittarius. So Venus will be hitting the point opposite that. Absolutely. Because it will be conjunct the sun. In the eclipse, right? Right. It'll be right around that conjunction, that new beginning of the Venus cycle Okay. that we talked about. So yeah, I think it actually is really relevant, especially since, as I said, lunar eclipses are very much related to relationship, and so is Venus. So this is going way into yourself and way back sometimes about relationships where you have unfinished business often in the past. Look back to the last time we had eclipses around that degree, which is probably about nine years ago, if I had to guess off the top of my head. I don't have it right here in front of me. Sure. But that's the period you want to go back to. And then, of course, it was eight years ago that we had Venus retrograde in a similar part of the zodiac that it is now. So eight to nine years ago, what was happening with relationships in your world and in your life? How was your relationship with your own self-worth and with money and all of these things? Friends from the past will sometimes show up during Venus retrograde cycles, and especially when an eclipse is on hand. So it promises to be a pretty active, we'll talk much more about it next week, probably when we're closer to the actual eclipse. But I think it's a good point that you make about Venus being close to that. Yeah. I think that's everything on our list. We have finally gotten to the end. Do you think we've done it? Of course we have. We've gotten to the end of our show sheet. (laughs) That's the only way we know that we're done. So I don't need my drum set up here. I'll just keep making drum noises. Well, we thank you all for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. And we hope that you'll help us spread the word. Leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell a friend about the podcast. 
share it on social media. If you're able to help support the podcast with a contribution of any amount, we would really appreciate it. Go to BigSkyAstropod.com and you can either make a one-time donation of any amount or you can become an ongoing monthly pod pal, which we would just love. We really appreciate anything you can do to help. Thanks. Yes, we are coming up with big plans ahead for our pod pals. So you want to <laughs> so you want to join us for that. All right, well, join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you next time.